have to learn your cliches. You're gonna have to study them. You're gonna have to know them. Well, you know, you go out there and you give 110% and you want to play good and, you know, you hope you play good. I think we play pretty good tonight. Well, you know, there's no I in the word team, and this is a team effort. 10-5, touchdown. Oh, man, you know, you just got to play one game at a time and go out there and give 110%. All right! Play ball. What's going on, movie mavens? And thanks for downloading the fifth edition of Scoring at the Movies, the every other week sports movie podcast. Warning, you're about to hear a lot of spoilers, constant and thorough. I'm the student of human moves, Ryan Ellis, and here's the guy who thinks money won is twice as sweet as money earned, Christy Gregorio. <laughs> I've never earned a dollar in my life, and I've never won one, but I'm holding to that belief nonetheless. You are a card player, surely you've won money. Not a successful one, Ryan, okay. that's the difference. Before we get to this week's movie, The Color of Money, let's talk a little bit more about Angels in the Outfield. I've got Angels in the Outfield runs, hits, and errors. Oh, God, what did we do this time? Actually, there's interesting stuff here. Some of the additions I put on the website, which people can look at, topnightproject.com, just little details, not that important. Not that these are that important, but... Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Everything we talk about here is critically important. So the White Sox are also the villains in Major League 2, like they are in Angels in the Outfield. That was also in 1994. That's because nobody likes the White Sox. But since when did the hapless White Sox get to be the de facto Yankees? The Yankees probably demanded too high a licensing fee. That's that could how. be. And the Yankees also weren't very good at that point. They were getting good in 94 and certainly 95, 96. But when those movies were written and made, they were not good for a long time. They had Paul O'Neill, Ryan. Don't tell me they weren't good. They were getting better. He was a key part of their <laughs> And success. Danny Tartable. Not so important to have him. (laughs) And it's funny, too, because we said the White Sox had been shitty for years before Angels in the Outfield, but the real White Sox had been a contender since 1990, and that year they won more than 90 games. Oakland was so good, the White Sox were nowhere near winning the division in 1990, but the White Sox won 90-plus games. And by the way, we're at Chris's place. That's Beans the Cat making noise. You'll probably hear more of that in the next hour or so. She's very passionate about Mm -hmm. movie films, and she's going to want to have a say at some point. Much like Fox is when we're at our house. Absolutely. Or my house. All right, so Touchstone Pictures released Color of Money, this week's movie, on October 17th, 1986. We're still in the 80s. Most of our podcasts have been ladies and 90s so far only. Touchstone makes this yet another Disney movie. Three of our first five scoring the Is movie's episodes. Movie? Because Touchstone was a Disney product. Okay. Or okay. a Disney company. Color was 12th of the box office in 1986. Cruises, Tom Cruise's Top Gun was number one. So he had some of the bigger hits that year. <laughs> and critical reception was pretty good. 89% of critics liked it and 73% of audiences on Rotten Tomatoes. All right, Ryan. Now, very important question for you. Which movie in 1986 had the more impressive topless scene in it? Was it Color of Money, Carmen struts around mm-hmm. after the shower, topless, or was it Top Gun with Val Kilmer and Tom Cruise strutting around topless? Well, I guess Goose was in there as well, playing volleyball. As was Slider and the other and guys. So, yeah. More impressive? Gotta be honest. The guys. Of course. But what turned me on more? Mary Elizabeth Master Antonio Cougar Mellencamp, as my cousin used to call her. <laughs> it's also funny the way she plays that, too. She's showing it off for Paul Newman, and then he challenges her on that. Have you ever seen The You've seen the Hustler, right? I did see The Hustler ages ago. I had to actually remind myself about some of the details of this, of that movie, as it relates to this one, because mm-hmm. it obviously plays directly into some of the character motivation. It doesn't dwell on it too much for a sequel, though. But the reason I bring it up is because... The key point of The Hustler is that Newman's character is told by George C. Scott's character, the cast distracting us, Bert, that he has no character. Yeah, Bert. And that Newman's biggest weakness are two things. One is that he is, a, well, not obsessed, but he's in love with Sarah, and then Sarah kills herself in that movie, and that's what really puts Newman's character over the edge. And right. the other one is that, I don't rattle. 
He rattles so easily in that film. That's also Vincent Loria's problem in this film. Even more so when it comes to the woman, because Mary Elizabeth Master Antonio Cougar Mellencamp. <laughs> we need to develop, we need develop a shorthand for that. Mary Antonio Master Cougar Mellencamp. Ma'am? That doesn't really work, does it? <laughs> we'll just call her Carmen. All right, fair enough. But he is so in love with Carmen, and it's laid on a little bit thick, actually. Cruz is all over it's her. I don't think it's Cruz's fault. I think Scorsese was okay with him doing that. Martin Scorsese directed this film. I've now been part of, I think, six Scorsese podcasts. Five with Bev and one with you. Great director, as we know. But Cruz is all over her to the point where we get it. You love her. Enough already. And he's yeah. pushing so hard. Newman doesn't do that in The Hustler, but it's the same kind of deal, where both guys can be pretty easily rattled, especially when Eddie pushes him... Is part of the scams. What are you doing? You your hands all over. Your hands are on our ass. We're acting. We're playing a part. I bet you in the back of his mind, though, Eddie's going, it's a great part. I mean, I love this. I often questioned how much motivation Carmen actually had for being with Vincent just because of his behavior mm-hmm. along those lines. Like He's, he's immature. Like, she's not. And he's talking about, yeah, you're a great player, but more importantly, you're a mm-hmm. flake. People are going to want to take you down because you're just that kind of personality. And like you said, in The Hustler, Eddie's got no character. He's got no personality. He's a pool shark through and through. Vincent is not. He's naturally talented, but he's a wackadoodle at the same time. So I think that's supposed to be an expression of that immaturity, that weird flaky personality, is that insecure aspect of it. But by that halfway point of that movie where he's freaking out at every single opportunity... Right, Beans? Yeah. Every single opportunity he's freaking out about how she's going to leave him or how she's got an interest in another man or another man's got an interest in her. Yeah, we get it. Unlike Tin Cup, where it's a romantic comedy and the romantic subplot has a purpose alongside the golf plot that doesn't exist here this kind of like weird subplot of the tension between carmen and vincent it seemed overplayed it's overplayed yeah like i just said i definitely agree with that but i think it's vital because in both cases the younger eddie and now vincent if weren't for the woman they would have a whole different outlook on things it's not the woman's fault it's their fault be more mature especially vincent who's been told we're gonna play this part they're playing the part learn from it even if he is taking more advantage eddie that is than he should He's playing a character. His desire to be with Carmen and be the exciting character, because I wasn't 100% certain either way with their relationship. Is she only with Vincent because she sees a meal ticket? She sees something that will make her a lot of money? I mean, it's, it's never clear, is it? It's never clear. It's certainly implied a few times when Eddie and Carmen in particular are talking that they both have an interest in Vincent for their own gain, whereas Vincent's clearly deeply in love with Carmen, and he wants to do everything he can to maintain her interest in him, and that's how Eddie gets his claws into Vincent at the beginning, is, listen, she's getting bored with you, you have to do something other than selling kids' goods in this mm-hmm. department store. How appropriate that he sells kids' toys, yeah, that was, but also, that was a nice touch. first time we actually see him on screen, he's playing a video game. Oh, stalker. Right. You know what? This movie was actually a little prescient. He's talking to Fast Eddie, and he's mm-hmm. saying video game skills, hand-eye coordination is going to be vital to get me into West Point in the future. And this is when Eddie's asking him, how much money can you make with a stupid video game? Now, you can make not as much money as a professional athlete, not even close still, but as a professional gamer, you could potentially make a lot of money or streaming online. Mm -hmm. And they're right. If you have incredibly advanced hand-eye coordination skills, that'll take you a long way if you want to get into the military. And the same year, he's in a movie where he plays a military character. It all ties together. Top Gun! I'm dangerously close to having another beautiful mind moment here (laughs) on you. By the way, we've passed a few minutes here. We haven't gone over the nutshell. So in a nutshell... Who won the nine ball tournament? I want to know. Is that a good whiny voice? That was the worst thing I've ever heard. Thank I you know, for that. Annoying, yeah. Vincent was out and Eddie forfeited. So who won? Grady Seasons got beat out. It wasn't going to be him. John Turturro's character, his name's escaping my mind. He's out too. But Grady Seasons was the player that Eddie was playing against, right? When he walks away. 
Because he's the one who's saying to Eddie... No, it's nobody else. We never saw that guy before. Oh, he's got some kind it? of bandana thing to say. I don't think we ever see him. He's saying, in the Eddie, I don't want to win like this. Mm. Not like, oh, it's that... not one of the characters we ever saw. Vincent beats Grady because Grady beat him on the road and Vincent gets revenge and Vincent even has that line about but he threw... it just keeps getting worse, doesn't it? Something like that. It gets oh, yeah. worse, doesn't it? It's like a nightmare. That's it just keeps it getting worse. That's what it is, yeah. But you know that guy that plays Grady Seasons was an actual pool... Profe- I'm not surprised. Professional, but more so a pool hustler. That's apparently how he made his living in the oh, 70s okay. and 80s. I can't remember the guy's name for the life of me. I just remember that was an interesting little thing that I discovered when I first saw this movie back probably in the mid-90s. I never saw it anywhere close to its release date. Another name in our list of good names, too. Grady Seasons. Grady Gordon Seasons. Bombay. Yeah. Ranch Wilder. <laughs> These movies have like a real knack for that kind of thing. Well, my whining is all about the fact that, of course, it doesn't matter. The nutshells are supposed to be irrelevant to the yeah, actual yeah, storyline. Yeah. But in this movie, we don't find out, and it doesn't matter. I remember some of the critics criticized the movie. Critics criticize as they're supposed to. But they had a problem with the fact that there's no big blow-off. <laughs> How dare those critics criticize? <laughs> That's their job. But those guys, women too, probably complained that the movie didn't have a big payoff between Cruz and Newman. But they do play each other. The idea is that Vincent gives up because he bet on Eddie to win. So he's doing what he was taught to do by Eddie on the road. But Eddie doesn't want the money that way. Did you notice, by the way, he's looking at the two ball, and there's a reflection, great Scorsese shot. I think the suggestion there is he doesn't want to be number two to Vincent. I have to know for sure. I have to know for real. That's deep. I didn't Mm -hmm. know that. Well, knowing Scorsese, it probably was intentional. Probably. So then they have their match at the end, which we don't even see, because they both make that shot where you see who goes first. Eddie breaks. I'm back. Movie's over. We don't know if he won. I guess the idea in Scorsese's mind is who cares. It's like Raging Bull. The movie's not really about boxing in the end. The last half or so is not even really about boxing. So whenever Scorsese does a sports-related movie, he doesn't care about the score or who wins or loses. But did you find that disappointing? Because they do have a match. I think people do overlook the fact that they do have a pool match. We don't know at the time it's happening that Vincent threw the match and Eddie won it. Yeah, I think that's overblown. I think that's missing the point. The very end where, yeah, I want your best game, Vincent. Let's just play and prove to me that you're better than I am and you don't see the match. That's very much like the Rocky Apollo ending to some of their movies. Rocky 3. Ding, ding, and let's go. And all you see is the... It's the Eye of the the Tiger. tiger. Exactly. You've seen Creed, though, right? Yeah. You know who won that match? He tells Creed's kid. So who won that fight? He did. Oh, now, maybe he's just being nice to the kid. Yeah, maybe he is. But if he's telling the truth, then Apollo won the first one by decision and Rocky won. He lost the second time they fought. And then he won the third when no one was watching, just the two of them. That, again, it's an irrelevancy, right? Because the whole point is that these characters are of comparable skill level. Yeah. When you have a story like Rocky's where you've got Apollo Creed, number one in the world, not even close, undisputed champion, and you've got the underdog story who's trying to come up to that level... Yes, in Rocky II, he ultimately wins the... Uh, and he shouldn't have. Much to your chagrin, he does win, and all, it's all well and good. But the point is that he has proven himself to be Apollo's more or less equal. And the same is true here, right? I don't know who is coming up to whose level in this movie. It could be Eddie coming up to Vincent's level as far as skill goes, or it could be Vincent coming up to Eddie's level as far as the mental aspect of hustling goes. From both perspectives, I'm not sure who is supposed to be the one that's undertaking that kind of evolution over the course of the movie. It is a direct sequel to The Hustler, but it's not heavily referenced. But of course, at the beginning of the movie, Eddie talks about he doesn't play, he was kind of forced out, mm-hmm. and that's what happens at the end of The Hustler, right? Yeah. He's told never step foot in a... Never yeah. play big time pool again. Exactly. So at the end of, by the end of this anyway, I'm back. Mm-hmm. He's hustling again, he's at a point where he feels like he can challenge, if not necessarily beat, at least challenge Vincent, who in his estimation is probably the best pool player out there. Eddie thinks Vincent could beat anybody, and yeah. Vincent certainly does as well. He throws the match against Eddie. 
And he makes a lot of money in the side games. Which is what Eddie taught him to do. Which is what Eddie taught him to do. Yeah. So he's evolved into that player that Eddie wanted him to be. And Eddie has now evolved to the point where he's confident enough to play again. They both have their separate journeys and they come back together at the end. But right. who actually beats the other in that game or who is the better pool player is irrelevant, I think. So it, those critics were kind of dumb is what you're saying. And maybe you're right. Well, I think everybody's dumb usually, right? <laughs> like, you know I think I'm the smartest man in the world. But yeah, I think in this instance, they were off base with that. I really enjoyed this movie, and mm-hmm. I think you did as well, right? Oh, yeah. We can nitpick at things, as we certainly will, like the ham-handed jealousy of Cruz's character. I had a little bit of trouble fully accepting Cruz's evolution from the first half of the movie to the second. His skill level in the game is never questioned, mm-hmm. but Fast Eddie is continually banging his head against the wall, trying to get Vincent to accept the fact that he has to play smart. He can't just stroll into a pool hall... Newman wants him to be the flake, but he wants him to be a smart flake. He wants him mm-hmm. to be flaky and then throw the game, and then I guess with the plan being in the long run, you'll play a big game for bigger mm-hmm. stakes, and you'll win. Both because you might win in a bar bet when somebody wants to bet hundreds or even thousands of dollars right. when they're on the road, or also because, as he said, the odds on you go way down, and then when they get to the tournament, yeah. then, of course, the odds are so low that you make the money that way. He's trying to get that message through, and he never succeeds. And then ultimately he walks away from Vincent and Carmen when he's having his own struggles with self-confidence and all of that. But Uh, Vincent changes a lot in the span of a few weeks by the time we get to the tournament. Yeah, by the time we see him, he is the ultra-suave, sophisticated hustler. He's the one... Well, that's a little bit much. He's certainly come a long way, I'll give you that. Well, to the point where he's now chastising Carmen about her failure to properly uh, manipulate their mark, right? Mm -hmm. And in the past, it's Carmen hassling Vincent because he's willing to play for 60 or $90 when he's giving away a couple hundred bucks or a thousand Mm -hmm. bucks in a game. Or I'll play for free. He loves playing pool so much, he'll play John Turturro's character, I forget his name again, He'll play him for free. Yeah, I keep wanting to call him Jesus. But of course... Jesus the bowler. <laughs> you don't fuck with the Jesus. I do love John Turturro. He is one of a few well-known actors that have some really fun little parts in this. Like Forrest Whitaker being an... Oh, old. yeah. He, Scene stealer. He is great in that role as the kind of... When Eddie gets hustled by him. Yeah. Now, are you a the... hustler, Amos? Yeah. No, oh, Eddie, Eddie. I don't want to know how The shots feelings. he makes are unbelievable. That too. was just luck. Whenever we're playing each other, Ryan, and you're constantly telling me, oh, that was totally lucky. I never do that, Chris. I don't know how I did that. I'm starting to get suspicious. I gotta tell you. <laughs> I just take no money from you, though, so I guess <laughs> I'm not actually sharding you too much. <laughs> you haven't quite mastered the financial aspect of hustling, only the pool playing aspect of hustling. that bright when it comes to money. <laughs> so I want to ask you this question. I've seen this movie five, maybe even six times, and I'm still not fully clear on this. And either Scorsese and the writer Richard Price are doing it intentionally and I'm being dumb, or they're not very clear. And maybe it's the second part. Is Newman always playing Vincent? Is it always, I'm going to take this kid on the road and make money with him and make him better because I want to, because I want to help him out and I want to make money doing that. But is it always just a front also to get himself back on the road? Because the movie isn't fully clear about that. Is an opportunity, the whole thing when he loses to Amos. Is he throwing the game against Amos, although Amos is making incredible shots, but they come and watch. Is it all performance for them? Because that's when he tells them, I'm no good, get out of here. But we learn later that, to a degree at least, he was putting on an act doing that. Maybe. You're right, it's not definitively out there as an answer, but my interpretation was no. I thought that was legitimately the evolution of Newman's character, that up to the point where he decided, I'm going to pick up the cue again and start playing... He legitimately thought he was never going to be able to step foot in those big games in the pool halls ever again. From a talent standpoint or from they're going to break my leg standpoint? Well, the implication in the movie is that there was a period where it was definitely, they will kill me, right? Mm -hmm. Not they'll break my legs, they'll kill me because that was also a line in The Hustler. If you step foot, we'll break your legs. And if you don't kill me, I'll kill you was his response. So 
if I step foot in the pool hall now as Fast Eddie, I'll die. They'll kill me. They talk about it's been 20 years or 20 odd years since he's been seen on the circuit. 25 years in the movie's time. You believe that for so long and then you realize time's passed me by. He mentions that a few times over the course of the movie. He has to get new glasses. Right. He's got aches and pains in his neck, his back, mm-hmm. and his legs. And then towards the end of the movie, when he's in the tournament, he's talking about how great he feels. His back is good. His legs are good. He can see. Because he was training, effectively. He was training. He and was playing a lot of pool after he got get, rid of Vince get the training Carmen. montage, man. Yeah. With, Every sports with movie needs a montage. It's great. My belief is that he was always playing Vincent for the money-making angle. But not as a front to get back on the road to play. No, I didn't get that. I thought that was legitimately something that just happened out of as much frustration with Vincent as anything. I thought that his character, as cocksure as he was about his ability to manipulate other people, at the beginning of the movie anyway, and you see that to great effect when he's at the bar and he's just playing Vincent. Oh, I lost that first bet by one second. Here's your dollar, but pick up my tab if I walk out of here with this lady at the bar. Mm -hmm. He does that masterfully. Because he knows her. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, that's the scam, right? He knows everybody at the bar, so he knows that But guy. Carmen realizes it later on, which is really nice that she's that clever. Well, she's always played as the smarter of the two between Vincent and mm-hmm. herself. I always kind of wondered, I wasn't sure, is Vincent supposed to be a bit of like an idiot savant? Somebody who's not that bright, but is fantastic with hand-eye coordination? And, I suppose and game so. Makes sense. But at the same time, he's talking to the clients when we first see him at his actual day-to-day job at the, whatever it is. Like a Toys R Us, effectively. I think it was like baby equipment or something like that. He's pretty smooth in the way he deals with the customers, and the way he makes the sale. So if he's touched, he probably couldn't do that. Yeah, I wasn't really quite sure what to make of him. If he's not dumb, then why did it take him so long to absorb Eddie's message? Because it was repetitive. It was over and over. Competitive juices. The scene when he takes the balabushka, which he was told not to do, into the pool hall. And Moselle challenges them. What you got there? Nice little moment. Undoubtedly deliberate by a guy like Scorsese where Moselle is looking at the pool cue. Well, the case for it. But he's also looking at Cruz's crush. What you got in there, boy? <laughs> you challenge me with that? And then he opens it up. Doom. Phallic type of object. This movie is very sexual, though. So it makes sense they're holding phallic objects. It's another heterosexual male love story. And this has become a running theme for us. Because Carmen's obviously loved by Vincent. We talked about that already. Yeah. But she's almost incidental in comparison to these two guys. Not in love in a physical way. But their love-hate relationship that they have that we've seen in other movies Tin Cup had it to a degree Karate Kid certainly did well at a certain point in the movie it's very much a male bonding thing and Fast Eddie becomes the de facto surrogate father for Cruz we never hear anything about Cruz's character's upbringing in this movie right? we're just kind of thrown into the fray and we don't really know much about him beyond the fact that he works at some shitty job and he's great at games and when Fast Eddie is trying to convince Cruz and their first stop on the road trip you gotta throw this game against this old man you can't have any compunction about beating him and the way that he teaches them to do that is he says alright you know what you do what you're gonna do I'll front you the money just go play and then of course Cruz does throw the game and then Fast Eddie walks so that they start beating the shit out of Cruz it's an interesting thing isn't it he's running the risk of Vincent getting seriously hurt yeah but it seems like he's going to teach him a lesson. That's what he seems to be doing. So why, though? Because what if he's a little bit late or one of them gets a little too aggressive? Yeah, it happened to him many years ago. He has his thumbs broken in The yeah. Hustler. Maybe that's the subtext here. It happened to me. It's got to happen to you, too. I don't know. It's such a strange scene. Another one, I didn't fully get what they were going for there. Well, why is Fast Eddie doing that to him? A, the reason that Cruz starts getting the shit kicked out of him is because he did exactly what Eddie told him to do. Right? He threw the game to the old man. Eddie wasn't there to pay off the loss, so they started beating up on Cruz. But I think what it was intended is that Cruz feels bad for this old guy. Just because of the way he looks, he's got the ventilator in his neck. 
And this is Eddie's way of saying, I get that this guy looks old and firm and you feel sorry for him, but don't feel sorry for him because the second they have the opportunity, they'll turn on you. I think that's the lesson he was trying to teach is that oh, this old okay. guy now had the upper hand of Cruz and he wasn't going to show any mercy to Cruz, so why should Cruz show mercy to him? Because like in The Hustler, you owe me money! I think that was the lesson. You're right. I mean, it's a damn risky one. But when he ultimately does come in, chairs heaving and fists flying to save Cruz from the mob, he's yelling... I am his father. You play when I tell you to play. You don't play when I tell you not to, right? And he drags him out of there and they book it out. Funny moment when they look at each other and then they run. They're like, get out of here. That is the subtext of the movie. As Fascinate becomes Vincent's Mm -hmm. surrogate father. At a certain point, Vincent does say to Fast Eddie, you talk to me like nobody else ever has. You reached me. You've spoken to me like no other figure ever has to me. And, and that's a compliment is what he meant. He that. meant it in a good way. He's actually being reached by Fast Eddie in a way that no other parent figure, I got that to be the implication. No, he said that. You're right. That's what he meant. He yeah, so I think that's the bromance aspect of it is that they're now sort of a father-son thing and in a similar way that no father necessarily wants to see their son suddenly become better than they are at a certain aspect of things. I'm sure that's what played into Fast Eddie at the end of it saying give me your best game, right? Mm. He's seen Cruz become a good hustler, whether he's better than Fast Eddie, we don't know, but he's seen Cruz become that better man, so Eddie wants to defend his alpha male status. We don't know if he succeeds, and we never will. But you're right, we don't need to find out. Don't need to. One of the things about this film that works so well are the quotes. There's some great lines. I used a few of them in the intro about the student of human moves and uh, (laughs) the other things. But I also love the line, no one to say yes and one to say no, and everyone goes home in a limousine. It's a great line that he says really? to Carmen. Really? that? He says to Carmen early on. Because he's trying to get her to play him for a lot of money. He keeps on upping the stakes. He does it to her a few times. It's when he first meets them. And that's the line he has to her later on. Oh, yeah. yeah. Play me $500. No. Should have said yes. Why? Could we beat you? Probably. Ask you again. Play me for $500. Yes. No, you should have said no. I'm it's, the unknown. It's too much money. I'm the unknown. Yeah, it was a great little scene there. Mm-hmm. The other great aspect of that scene was before... Fast Eddie picks up on Vincent's sledgehammer break, mm. which, by the way, caused me physical angst to watch. The way he was torquing that I know. Cue. I know he's not breaking those cues. There is no way that you actually break like that to the point where the cue's almost bent at a 90-degree angle. I've watched not a lot of professional nine ball, but watched some, and nobody does that. And if you do it, then you're using the wrong kind of cue because yeah. those breaking cues are made not to torque that way. Basically, just a piece of wood. It's not really a pool cue, per se. Yeah, it's They're usable, cue. but your own personal pool cue is way better. We both have one. I felt a little bit angsty just at the thought of somebody doing that to my cue, even though it's not that... It's no balabushka, perhaps, mm-hmm. but it's expensive enough. But yeah, before he picks up on that smashing break, he's talking to his lady friend. This is Eddie at his hustling best, doing everything he can to make a buck, trying to sell some kind of shitty grain alcohol from the sounds of it to the bar to blend with their actual whiskey and it made me laugh because they're talking about jack daniels and wild turkey as top shelf liquor that they're going to scam their clients they'll believe this is the good stuff wild turkey (laughs) hey fast eddie can you get me some more of those wild for the record bev and i enjoy wild turkey and she drinks it quite often i drink it sometimes i do too but it's not top the line it's not top shelf liquor and and most often you're going to use it in like a rum not a rum and coke a jack and coke type mixer you're not going to often drink a lot of versions of wild turkey. That's what we do, though. Straight. We tend to mix in our house. Most exactly. Of the time. And you know me, I'm a bit of a whiskey snob, right? right. And so I think Eddie's an I gotta be around it guy. I've talked about this a lot. And Rocky, too, I've always got it from that movie. He literally says it, one of my favorite scenes that Stallone ever did. I gotta be around it, Mick. 
I think that's why Eddie is in pool halls, because no, he's not playing. I mean, that's why he gets away with it. He's selling liquor and has done really well. He's in that nice Cadillac. Cadillac? I guess it's a Cadillac. Is it? Well, it's a really nice car. In any it, case. Looks, it looks like a Lincoln town car or maybe a Cadillac. I don't know much about, I just bought a car today, earlier today, but I don't know much about cars, man. <laughs> You're saying you didn't buy a mid-80s town car, Ryan? I also didn't smoke inside like they do in this movie. Like we saw in Angels in the Outfield. People just smoke it inside in places you really shouldn't be. I love That dates the movie quite a bit. I love that Eddie gets really pissed off with Cruz and Carmen because they're playing around on the hood of his car mm-hmm. and the buckle on her jacket or something. That pisses him off. But the thought of somebody smoking in his car and ash getting anywhere, like little mm-hmm. burns or just the stink of it, that's cool. Because <laughs> everyone smoked back then still. Ugh. I guess is what it is. He was a smoker too. Certainly in The Hustler was. Does he smoke in this movie? I don't no. know, but there is smoking inside is my point. In bars he drinks stuff. a lot. And he does in The Hustler. Sarah in The Hustler is an alcoholic, and he might be going down the road, but she is an alcoholic. Isn't that how he loses to Minnesota Jackie... Fats. Yeah, Jackie Gleason's character, Minnesota Fats. Because he drinks too much, and he also is playing for about a day and a half straight. Yeah. And, and he's he... not training for that. His flaw in that movie, as much as anything, is both pride and his alcoholism. And in this one, when he gets hustled by the Forrest Whitaker character, Amos, he's slamming bourbons, right? That's true. When you ask, is he putting on the performance for Cruz and... What do you call her? Marianne Mastorani, Cougar Mellencamp. Mary Elizabeth Master Antonio Cougar Mellencamp. Exactly. So when he's putting Esquire. on that... Esquire. Esquire, <laughs> yeah. We have a few more letters in there. He's putting on that performance for Vincent and Carmen. Is it real? I don't know. But he's bemoaning, you know, is it too much liquor? Do I just not have it anymore? I think at that point he realizes that the booze is going to be what holds him back. We don't see him drinking much when they get to the tournament, do we? We see him in the bar overhearing Cruz hustling the guy from... Was it like Podunk City that he won? Something like that, yeah. Anyway, he's there having a drink at that point, but he's not playing. He's just sitting in the bar. And after that, I don't think we see him drink anything. When Eddie gives Vincent the balabushka, which is a pool cue I've never heard of before, but maybe that was a cool thing back in the 80s, I don't know. I was going to ask you, is that an actual thing? I don't know that much about pool cues. If I've only... never bought one myself. I've had them bought for me as presents. You're so impressive at the pool hall that people feel the need to <laughs> bestow upon you their cues. I haven't played much in a long time. I'm not going to be very impressive when I do play again. If there's only some way for us to somehow research this fact and find out whether something it is... Something that's right in front of you, a <laughs> yeah. computer of sorts. Hmm. If only we could oogle something. I'll look it up later. But my question is, has Eddie been waiting for a Vincent? Not necessarily this Vincent, but I've a Vincent. <laughs> To come along <laughs> forever. And now he finally finds the guy. <laughs> oh, that hurt. Oh. So was it just coincidence? That kid's got a sledge of a break, or has he been waiting for 10, 15, or even the 25 years? I can manage this kid. I was wondering something similar. Not exactly that. I kind of wondered if Vincent was the latest in a line of people that, what did they call I guess staking to a certain degree, but that Eddie was effectively managing, right? He's the stake horse. What was John Turturro's character's name? Julian. I actually have it on my phone. Julian. I looked at when you were talking about something a minute ago. So they, I mean, he obviously has a quasi-staking relationship. With, sorry, that was my knuckle hitting the desk oh, there. I didn't think I moved. I wonder why I had such a noise and I didn't see you hit the flame. Uh, my bones are so brittle, but I keep drinking all this malk. Vitamin H. What? Better not play pool and break hard. You might break your hands, not so much the pool cue. Yeah, the cue won't snap. My arm will. Ugh. What was I saying? Oh, yeah, John Turturro's character obviously has some sort of pre-existing staking relationship with Eddie. Mm-hmm. Eddie obviously views Julian as a sub-standard player, nowhere mm-hmm. near Vincent's caliber, so he doesn't take him on the road. He he's also doing coke, which is not something that Eddie's okay with. That's right, yeah, he's a cokehead. Although Julian does say later on, if it feels good, do it, right? Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that's a subtle comment about his character's view on those kinds of things, right? But... Obviously, he's got some connection with people, and maybe he's found somebody that he thought had Vincent's level of talent in the past. We don't know, but maybe he just hasn't, and he sees this as his opportunity to really make a big score. We don't know what Eddie's circumstance is exactly. He dresses in that chic 80s suave Mm -hmm. kind of look. He drives the big-ass 
presumably fairly expensive town car. And he's flaunting a lot of money around, $100 bills and that kind of thing. But so is he, though? He often, maybe it's all for show? Okay, he yeah. often does whip out his little bankroll wad. But if you look at it, it looks like it's maybe five, six, seven hundred bucks, maybe. Which is not mm-hmm. nothing, especially in the 80s. But it's also not like he's got 50 grand in his pocket. Right, okay, fair enough. Yeah. And he talks a big game about how getting rich is easy if you've got a real talent about something. He mentions that to Carmen and Vincent when he takes them out. Well, they actually end up taking him out to That's dinner right, once he yeah. counter scams them. But he says it's easy to get rich when you've got talent. But we don't actually know if he is, whether he's living on the edge. Or we don't see his apartment slash house. That's no, right. we, we see him stay with his girlfriend for one night and that's about it. Maybe he's just been struggling for the last 20 years just to survive and he sees Vincent as an opportunity to make enough money to be a little bit comfortable for a while. There's a scene in Cinderella Man, which is another sports movie. Paul Giamatti is Russell Crowe's manager, I believe it is. I haven't seen the movie since 2005. I think that's true. Giamatti and his wife dress really well. And then for some reason, I think it's Crow that comes over to their apartment and expects to walk into this great place. And it is a great place, but there's nothing in it because they've sold their furniture. Because all they have is their outward appearance now. So maybe it's the same thing. Maybe Eddie's apartment slash house either has nothing in it or it's some dump. But the clothes and the car and the watch and whatever rings he might wear, the hair... That's the one thing that he actually shows off, and that's the one place the money goes to. It's very possible. Well, a few places, I should say. If your entire existence depends on your persona, your ability to hustle people, make a few bucks, whether it's pool or it's scam liquor or whatever the case may be, you need to present a certain appearance. And he does, but we don't know if there's any substance to it. As always, Scorsese uses music really well. It's a great song. One of my favorite songs in the history of songs. We have it on Rock Band 3. It's not easy to sing because you got to do those ooh's, but Werewolves of London. <laughs> Werewolves of London. And Vincent blows a chance to win a big wad of cash. It is fun to watch him play, though, because Cruz and Newman and Jackie Gleason and The Hustler are all really good pool players. And a lot of the shots in both movies are those guys making them. In fact, I think I read somewhere that in this movie, every shot is those guys that you see them make on camera. Really? Even the, yeah. Except when I think it's Cruz that jumps a ball and yes. manages to make the shot. I think but everything else is those guys. Maybe not the Forrest Whitaker shots, but those three people I mentioned, Newman, Gleason in the original movie, and Cruz, are making legit shots. And that scene where Cruz blows it against Moselle, you know it's him. He's on camera. We don't have digital effects back in 1986. And, of course, Werewolves of London is playing in the background. So even though it's a scene where you're very frustrated with this dumb asshole for blowing it yet again, <laughs> and Eddie specifically said, don't take the battle of Bushka, specifically said, dump in this place. He goes against those things, and that's when Eddie gets more pissed off than any other time. He leaves him there. He drives away. But that's at least right. you get that great song playing in the background. <laughs> I gotta say, it's fun watching Cruz play, especially between shots when he's dancing around. He's pretending to stab his opponent in the chest mm-hmm. and wipe the gore off on the side of the table and stuff like that. I've not experienced celebrations after winning a game of pool since the last time you beat me at your place. And I think you came very close to snapping the pool cue over your knee and flexing at me. But He's making all of this up. <laughs> I do have a pool table, but it's not very good. We haven't used it in a long time. Cruz is fun and funny in this movie, though. And he hasn't done a lot of comedies in his life, but when he does, Jerry Maguire, some of the scenes in Risky Business, some of the scenes in this, he can be so much fun. It's too bad he's just the action guy now. Although he's funny sometimes in those movies. Mission Impossible, 93, whatever the whole number it is now, is going to be out by the time this podcast gets released. It's all charisma, right? And. Mm-hmm. He's fun in this movie, but he's not necessarily funny ever, right? Because it's, oh, I think he's kind of funny. I didn't laugh out loud that much at him, but he's so goofy that he's entertaining. He's goofy. His antics are goofy, but it's not comedy where he's delivering lines. It's just that, well, that, that charismatic performance that yeah. comes out. There's a reason why Cruz became the biggest film star of his generation. Mm-hmm. It's because of that charisma. You're right. It's lost in some of these action movies because you got to be the stoic, muscle-bound doofus. But He's not dumb, but he's kind of dull. 
Yeah, maybe the other DU word. <laughs> yeah, doofus is a little bit of a misnomer. But yeah, he's dull. He actually got a lot out of this movie that had nothing to do with the actual movie itself. It was getting to know Paul Newman. I've read before that those guys became friendly after that. A lot of actors do, and they work together, and they become friends for years after. I think Clooney and Pitt and maybe even Damon are all still pretty close. I think so, yeah. From the Ocean's Eleven movie. Ocean series, for that matter. But Cruz and Newman were buddies at this point. Newman got Cruz into cars and racing. More than he had. Maybe Cruz was already interested, but more so after that. And it's unfortunate they didn't stay close, but I think it was the Scientology thing. Because around this same time, Cruz... Mm -hmm got into Scientology, also got into bigger and more important movies than even this one, because this is a comedic sort of movie, but only a couple years later he's doing Rain Man, which has humor, but it's of course not a comedy, and it was an Oscar winner, big hit, Born on the Fourth of July, not long after that, really good movie, not a big hit, very serious film though, about the Vietnam War and when the aftermath. Was, yeah, when was Days of Thunder? That was 1990, so now he gets back in a goofy shit, but it's also yeah, a car racing movie. I was going to say. Newman probably watched and said, Tom, great job, because he's a big car racing guy himself. <laughs> but there's a point where Newman cared more about car racing than movies when he got to be older, around maybe that age, 1990 into the later 90s. He was still working in movies one or two a year, usually not even that many, actually. One, maybe. But I think he got more into car racing to the point where the movies are, eh, I'll do a film here and there. Don't forget, car racing and salad dressings. Right. That became his passion. But the salad dressing stuff, all that went to charity. I know. Paul Newman... If you didn't know this, won an Oscar for this movie. And it was definitely one of those examples of a make-good. Bev and I have talked about this a ton of times in our podcasts, where actors win an Oscar 5, 10, 25 years later. That's a make-good. They should have won for he, something long before. He won for this? Mm -hmm. James Woods and Salvador was probably the best choice that year. I was going to ask you, who were the other nominees? I can't remember all their names right now. A guy named Dexter Gordon and Round Midnight, I believe, was one of the nominees. I can't remember the other guys right now. I didn't but write you, them all down. But James Woods is the one I've always thought of, because Woods, for all of his assholishness now was great in that film that was directed by Oliver Stone. Stone directed Born on the Fourth of July as well. Platoon, the same year for that matter. He did Platoon and Salvador that hmm. same year. Newman was good. Newman's always good. I don't think Newman's really ever been bad in a movie. He's one of those actors that is almost always believable and almost always likable, or if he's supposed to be likable, and often is brilliant. Bev and I have covered him a lot in our podcast. HUD we did not that long ago. He's fantastic in that, where he's a fucking bastard. It's not really a movie about villains and heroes, but he's the villain in that film, if there is one. Well, he's a bit of a bastard in this one, too. At times, sure. Yeah. One of the reasons why he might have won is because whatever humor the movie has is ironic, I guess you might say. Scorsese told him, Newman said this was his best direction that at least Scorsese ever gave him, maybe that anyone ever did. In the funny scenes, try not to be funny. Just play it straight? Mm -hmm. Be the straight man? I guess so. The scene where he saves Cruz, well, he first sets him up to be beat up, but he pulls him out of there. I'm his like, father. Right, and then they look at each other and run away. That's a funny moment. Don't try to be funny. I mean, that makes sense, especially within the context of Vincent being the flake and the goofball. You don't want to have goofball on goofball all the time. You want to have the straight guy and the flake. So mm -hmm. I didn't realize he won the Oscar, and I'm a little bit surprised by that. Well, the movie was nominated for three others. Supporting actress, that would be M.E.M. <laughs> Cougar Monkamp. Also, she was, she was very good. I, she was, yeah. Not a great arc. She plays the same character for the most part, but she does evolve decently well. The best arc is definitely Vincent, because he goes from being the goofy guy to have learned something. Like we talked about earlier, I like the arcs of both Vincent and Eddie. You're right that Carmen's arc is not really there to nearly the same degree, but she's essential to the movie progressing in the way it does, yeah, because yeah. without her influence over Vincent in particular, or her interactions with Eddie, they don't get to where they need to get no, to. No, she needs to be there. She's a very vital character, but exactly. her character doesn't really change, and usually the better characters in movies are the ones that have some kind of change. Yeah, that's right. The movie is also nominated for the Richard Price adapted screenplay because it's based on a book. The same guy who wrote The Hustler wrote The Color of Money. I think they called it The Color of Money. That was in 84. Of course, The Hustler was a long time before that. And it was nominated for The Sets. It was also, and this is appropriate for... For The Sets? Nominated for The Sets, yeah. <laughs> I guess maybe they must have redesigned those pool halls. Some of them were probably legit pool halls. That's interesting. The, the big tournament in Atlantic City? 
Mm-hmm. It just looked like a school gym with a whole bunch of pool tables laid out in it. That was pretty cool, I guess. I they did a good job of really emulating the dank, smoky pool hall atmosphere. Yeah. I started to play pool in my late teens, early 20s, and it was just before they started to ban smoking inside, at least here in Toronto. I still remember trying to lean in close to the table because there was so much bloody, hazy smoke in the air. Especially that... for you, who's so high in the air to begin with, because you're six oh, before. Dear Lord, yeah. Not so bad for me, I'm already low to the ground. <laughs> All the smoke's above your head yeah. anyway. I'm fine. <laughs> yeah, I almost asphyxiated playing pool half the time. They did a good job of emulating it. I'm just shocked that they would get a nomination for the sets. Well, it didn't win, at least. And appropriately for what we're doing with these sports movies we've been covering for a couple of weeks now, it was nominated in the sports category of the top 100 genres, but didn't make it. Really? We'll cover one of those eventually. Bev and I have covered The Hustler, Raging Bull, Rocky, and Bull Durham, I think it's also on there. So you're telling me neither Mighty Ducks nor Angels in the Outfield qualified for that list? I don't think they were even nominated, but Karate Kid, I think, was, at least. Oh, man. It's a crushing blow. What do you think of Marty Scorsese's director? I assume you've seen a lot of his films, or at least some of the big ones. Yeah, of course I have. I've never been as big a fan of his as probably most people. I certainly am a big fan. Listen, it's not like I dislike him. He's obviously an extraordinary director and and also the owner of one of the funniest stories I've ever heard on late night television. But things like Bull Durham, not Bull Durham, what are we talking about? Raging Bull, of course, Raging Bull. Raging Bull Durham. Raging Bull Durham, the wacky mashup nobody asked for. (laughs) I don't like that movie. I just don't. You're not the only person that feels that way. Critics jerk themselves off to that movie. They love it so much. It's like Bev and I covered Dark Knight not long ago, and that is a fanboy's dream. And yet there are people out there that think that movie's bad. There are a lot of people out there that think Raging Bull is bad. I've seen it probably three times with a direct You give it that many chances, really? Well, because, like you said, so many people jerk off to that movie. It's Why am I not jerking? Yeah, I should be jerking! Why am I still flaccid? Come on! (laughs) Somebody poured water on your dick, that's why. Ice water, in fact. Wait a minute, should I not be watching this movie while in my ice bath, my nightly ice bath? Maybe that's really directly hurting my enjoyment of it. When you talk about the best movies of all time, it's always in that conversation. Mm -hmm. Yep. So I want to give it a chance. I just don't like it. What was the movie with Marky Mark and... Oh, The Departed. The Departed. I think that's overrated. I think it's a very good film, but not a great film. Exactly. And it's unfortunate he won the Oscar for Best Director finally for that, because it's maybe his eighth or ninth best movie. Yeah, exactly. Maybe that's a little low, but it's definitely not in his top five for me. Raging Bull, Taxi Driver, Goodfellas, his big three are in the top... Last Temptation of Christ, which Bev and I covered around Easter this year, I think is in there. See, Goodfellas is a great movie I enjoy, and Taxi Driver is a fantastic movie, Mm. but... I don't know what influence he had over De Niro in that role. Maybe De Niro's performance is directly related to the direction he got from Scorsese. They're close know. friends, so they probably were working closely. They always did on the other movies they made. But he is the one that makes that movie. Is the, De Niro is. Yeah, the yeah. raw emotion of his performance. Mm-hmm. So I don't get a lot out of the direction of that movie in the way that okay. I, I do other things. So quite honestly, I'm a film Luddite anyway. That... That's why we're doing sports movies specifically. Yeah, because I'm not qualified to speak intelligently about most things, and certainly <laughs> not about the in-depth stuff when it comes to movies. Well, it's funny, The Color of Money is so much different than a lot of what Scorsese does. It's a Scorsese movie, without a doubt, but it's not the same kind of thing he always did. Maybe he was selling out a little bit, but then he wanted to keep on working, he wanted to have a career. <laughs> selling out for the big movie, Color of Money. By his standards, it was a big movie. The King of Comedy was the movie he... No, that's not true. After Hours was before this. Didn't do great. It did all right, I guess. King of Comedy was a bomb. Raging Bull financially was a bomb. He didn't know if he was going to have a career after Raging Bull, so he's probably happy just to be working to make a movie like this. I don't know a lot about the reception of this movie when it came out. I would have been five years old. I never watched it until it was on cable TV in the mid-90s at some point. Mm-hmm. It is directly responsible for me wanting to start playing pool, though. I'll oh, say right. that. Oh, yeah. yeah, it was the first movie I saw 
I actually saw this before The Hustler. I didn't know that this was a follow-up. I did, too. So I probably missed a lot of the references at the time, anyway, that Fassetti makes to his past life. I don't know what this was received like in the 80s. I'm sure it was successful because of the cast involved. It was 12th of the box office. That's pretty good. That's right. But as far as money invested versus money earned, was it a smash? I didn't look at that closely, success? but I think so. I think most smashes may be a little strong, but it did well. Okay. Considering this guy was losing money for studios more often than not, that's not bad. Yeah, fair enough. Okay. All right, so the big question, we asked this last time when we did Angels in the Outfield. This is maybe more appropriate this time, and here's why. The question is, can you score at this movie? Our podcast is scoring at the movies. I say you must score while watching this movie. If one of these three... <laughs> If one of those three it actors... Is, it is not optional. <laughs> you're not fucking, you're a loser. Damn it, Ryan, for the last time I told you, I'll go to the movie with you as a friend. <laughs> Keep your hands to yourself. <laughs> if one of those three actors doesn't turn you on, then I don't even want to know you. Mary Elizabeth, whatever her name is, flashes or wears at you, plus the two guys are holding phallic objects for half the movie. This is pretty much a clothed porno. Not far off. Well, and sometimes it's not clothed. She does her boobs out. Yeah, that was like the obligatory boob flash briefly. It wasn't particularly erotic, but I agree. There's so many undertones to this movie, too. Obviously, Carmen and Vincent have their thing going on, but there's always the, to my mind, with the question, does Eddie really have an interest in... I don't think so. You don't think he was ever thinking about making a move on Carmen? Well, it's also a playback to The Hustler because Bert fucks Sarah. And then she kills herself. Which is a little bit extreme, but she's also an alcoholic, and it's also just a movie. They need that to happen for the story to progress. And that's when the relationship between Eddie and Bert breaks down, because he's indirectly at least responsible for Sarah killing herself. So if Eddie does the same thing to this guy's girl, when he already knows the way Vincent feels about her, I don't think he could have done that. But I also don't get the feeling that when he saw her there, that he really wanted her. Look at the way he's aggressive with her. If he was going to take her, that'd be a rape. But his whole idea is, I'm going to push you against the wall and show you what this could be. But I'm not going to do what Bert... I think, at least, because I don't think in The Hustlers implied that Bert had to take it from Sarah, but maybe Eddie always thought that. So you're talking about when he comes back to the hotel room and Carmen is lying in bed, basically, in her underwear. Yeah, because the scene with the boobs was earlier, and nothing yeah. really comes of that, but and it's he, almost like... When you shower, you close the door, kind yeah, of thing. I'll let that one go, but then when you're sitting there in your underwear, basically saying, hey, come on in if you want to. No, we're fucking business partners. Stop yeah, you're, this you're shit. Right. You're probably right about that. He sees right through Carmen's veiled attempts mm-hmm. to manipulate him. In she's the way a that kid, she's... too. Vincent's a kid, but she's yeah. a kid to him. Okay, she might enough. be older than Cruz is supposed to be. I think maybe she's supposed to be portrayed as being a couple years older than him, more streetwise. She's yeah. pretty tough. She's the toughest one of the three of them. She comes across as the one to kick your ass. She is. There's no question. Even more than either one yeah. of the guys. But I do agree. This is a deeply sexual movie, Ryan. I don't know if it's obligatory that you score this I movie. I think it is. But I think you'll have every opportunity to. So you mentioned that this is almost like a thinly veiled or mainstream porno in a lot of ways, and that's very true, and it comes across very clearly early on when Fast Eddie stakes John Turturro's character, Julian, you said his against Cruz. Cruz is busy playing his video game in the corner, Stalker, and so John Turturro calls across the hall to him and goes, hey Vincent, it's on! And while he's doing that, I don't know if you noticed this, he's stroking the pool cue with, oh, the, yeah. with his left hand. <laughs> I wasn't sure what that was supposed to imply. Both you could say like, hey listen, grab your cue and let's play, but at the same time, hey jerk off, are you coming to play? I think that's what it's supposed to mean. Yeah, yeah. And knowing Scorsese was probably very deliberate. Scorsese thinks his movies are funnier than they are to a lot of us. When he does commentaries, he laughs at a lot of things in his movies. Like Hitchcock thought everything was a comedy. He thought Psycho was a comedy. So Scorsese was probably laughing behind camera when Turturro was doing that. Hey, Johnny, just rub your shit cute. Those are two guys who should work together more than they did. He was in maybe two Scorsese movies. I think he was in something else. Good actor. It would have been a good combination to do more than just this. Turturro worked with the Coens all the time, but not really yeah. with Marty. I love Turturro. He's a fantastic actor. Mm, he's great as Jesus the Boar. I mentioned earlier that since you said Scorsese's sense of humor and all that, 
wish I could remember what show it was. It was probably Leno. At some point, Scorsese had to have some sort of medical procedure done, and so he had a catheter for a little while. But it was probably kidney stones or something like that. This is while he was filming a movie. So he continued to direct after having the surgery, and he's wearing Ooh. a catheter. And it's his birthday. So the cast and crew get him a cake, and you know, they all gather up and sing him happy birthday. And at the end of it all, the stripper pops out of the cake and starts dancing for Scorsese. So, of course... Oh, Nature no. takes its course, oh, no. and he's saying, you've never experienced pain in your life like when you get an erection while oh, having a catheter geez. inserted. Oh, I bet. Oh. <laughs> like, that is the cruelest prank I can possibly imagine. I have to shift in my seat a little bit just thinking about it right now. Oh, no. Yeah. Let's move on. Actually, let's end. So, big thumbs up, right? So, I'm not a big thumbs up, but a thumbs up for this movie. <laughs> yes. It is flawed. Well, especially when you're a Scorsese fan like I am. It's not anything close to his best movie, but no, it's definitely I, fun. It's exactly what it should be. It's a lot of fun. Actually, it features a lot of good pool scenes, and yeah. you can't ask much more for like a silly hustler-style movie than something that is both charismatic and fun and also portrays the sport properly. Beans <laughs> agrees, like 100%. Beans is back, and it's our second favorite, well, my at least, second favorite sport, if it's a sport. Pool. Of course, baseball. Two weeks ago, Angels Downfield, my number one sport. That's a film that doesn't do a great job about no, portraying doesn't. the sport it wants to portray. We'll cover better baseball movies eventually. We may not cover too many better pool movies. There aren't that many to cover because Bev and I did do The Hustler a couple years ago. Well, one of the movies that I hope we do cover at some point, Ryan, is that Pool Hall Junkies movie. You mentioned that before. Well, yeah. a far worse movie I still find greatly enjoyable. And they also do great pool scenes. And I think the common denominator is, like you were talking about earlier, the main characters in this movie, all very good pool players. Scorsese brought in professional or semi-professional pool players to fill the parts where he needed to to really bring authenticity to the scenes they did similar things with that movie as well the main characters are all very very accomplished pool players themselves and so it comes across authentically well maybe we'll do that one eventually but when we return in a couple weeks we'll be going real fast as we analyze will ferrell's tomfoolery and talladega nights the ballad of ricky bobby Shake and Again, bake. Shake and bake. And is this really a sports movie? Oh, they always say race car driving sports. So come okay. on, Ryan. If you're not going to call John C. Riley and Will Ferrell athletes, then who are you going to call an athlete? Come and in on. that movie, Will Ferrell is calling for Tom Cruise when he's trying to be safe <laughs> save in the me fire. Tom that is Cruise. Not on him. <laughs> save me, baby Jesus. <laughs> we'll be How did he get out of his race suit so fast? <laughs> That's a good question. The only man I've ever seen who could strip down faster than me is Will Ferrell. He's done a lot of sports movies, at least three I can think of. Talladega Nights, Semi-Pro, and Kicking and Screaming. Maybe there's more, but Semi-Pro is a lot of fun. Wasn't he in Blades of Glory? Blades of Glory, there's four. The skating movie, right. Pretty sure in every single one of them, he finds a reason to appear in his tidy whiteies Mm -hmm. at least once. He knows he doesn't have a good body, and that's what's funny about it. Oh, of course. All right, so I didn't do this last week, although I put it on the website. But you can always tweet me, at MovieFiend51. Chris is not on Twitter. TopRunnerProject.com is website, and of course, if you're subscribed to us on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, whatever the hell you call it now, it goes right to your device, and you can listen to us as you are right now. Yeah, well, you know me, Ryan. I can't have my name out there in the blogosphere, Twitter sphere, whatever, because if I become known, nobody in Atlantic City is ever going to play me again for the money. odds will be way too high. Exactly. Or way too low, I guess. Anyway, whatever it is. This is why we're bad at hustling. Yeah. Let's say I didn't make any math mistakes this time. <laughs> all right. Cut.